What is up? Hello there. My name is Jessica Patching Bunch. You can call me JPB. And this is Brain Body Resilience. This is a podcast dedicated to growth, human development, and stressing a little bit less so you can go ahead and live a little bit more. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Brain Body Resilience, the podcast. I'm your host, JPB. Today is episode number 80, which is amazing. And today we're talking about the death of diagnosis. The death of the diagnosis was uh, the name of an article that I read, and I loved it, and I want to share it. So, for those of us who are not familiar, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental disorders is what is is kind of like the guidebook that clinicians use to diagnose. And it was first published after World War II when almost 10% of the 11 million U.S. combat, combat, having a hard time saying that, U.S. combat service members later became hospitalized for various neuropsychiatric problems uh, because of the horrors that they lived through in combat. Um, By the year 2000, there was a revised edition of the DSM. It was the DSM-4. And in that version, there were 365 different diagnoses. That seems wild to me. 365 different mental health disorder diagnoses. And this number was cut almost in half when the most recent version of the DSM, the DSM-5, was released in 2013. I would also like to point out that research has come so far since 2013 And research informs clinical application. Research informs medicine. Research informs policy. And why are we still using something that was, you know, created in 2013? I hear that number and I'm like, "Mm, that wasn't that long ago. (laughs) But it was almost 10 years ago. And technology has advanced to the point where we, uh, research has, has also advanced in just incredible ways. So when we're looking at the DSM, the diagnostic categories in there have been found to be misaligned with emerging findings from clinical genetics and neuroscience research. And so basically they just don't make sense. There was a quote in here um, in this article that said, when you really talk to the patient, you see that they probably just have one thing wrong with their brain. I disagree with that statement, wrong with their brain. Um, I, I, the words we choose matter. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. And I don't know that there's something wrong with anyone's brain. They work differently. They pattern differently. They make shortcuts. Your brain is an incredible tool. And it might do things that um, don't make any sense to us, but I don't think that means there's anything wrong. Um, Anyways, that was a long tangent in the middle of this quote, so I'm going to start over. 
when you really talk about, or when you really talk to the patient, you see that they probably just have one thing wrong with their brain that is expressing itself in these different ways. Okay, that makes sense. Still the word wrong, but anyways. We give them all of these diagnoses, say borderline personality disorder, but yet fundamentally you could take a back, a step back and say, well, it's really just a sort of an emotional dysregulation. So what he's saying here is that people are diagnosed with things as serious as borderline personality disorder and then heavily medicated and treated othered in such a huge way because of this diagnosis. And we could step back and look at what's going on and really just say it's an emotional dysregulation. And I will say nervous system dysregulation, because that's where all of that comes from. When our nervous system is dysregulated, um, you know, and this is part of why since 2013, there's been a huge immersion, emergence of uh, research and clinical application just in the past few years, really, that is really embracing the work that has been going on for decades, talking about nervous system dysregulation and how that contributes to all of these, you know, mental health disorders in quotation marks that you can't see. And by repatterning our nervous system and by healing the trauma that caused the dysregulation and, and, and unbalance in our nervous system in the first place, we can address a lot of these things. So, um, There is another quote here I'm going to give you from this article. It says the DSM and the ICD are so established that the disorders are reified that are so reified that people think that they are real diseases. It's from Bruce Cuthbert, who is the former acting director of the National Institutes of Mental Health. These diagnostic manuals are so established and so embedded in the way that we practice, the way that we think, the way that we are taught to believe what they say, that people think they are real diseases. This is from the former acting director of the National Institutes of Mental Health. That is a serious claim for him to make. I absolutely agree. And, you know, everybody has their interpretation. The last part of this article I'm going to um, talk about is this piece at the end that's talking about, is this the death of the diagnosis? Because of all of these things, because we're finding out that um, a lot of these diagnoses are inappropriate and aren't really addressing what's going on according to modern research. Um, There's a piece at the end that says in the United States and Canada, it may be harder to shift away from diagnoses because a lot of the drive towards diagnoses in the United States and Canada is from a monetary need. There is an agenda to get paid. There has to be a diagnosis. And a lot of clinicians will give a diagnosis based solely on symptoms, even if they don't match 100%, because the $1.1 trillion health insurance industry in the US requires a diagnosis to cover treatment. Our healthcare system is broken. It is not a healthcare system. It is something entirely different, which is why we are starting to recognize that there are better ways to do things. So I'm here to tell you, you are not your crime. You are not your diagnosis. You are not your trauma. You are not your past. 
any of these things, unless you choose to identify with it and make that your identity. And that can be really hard to hear. I spent a really long time identifying with my past and my traumas and focusing so much on what I didn't want to be in and didn't want to identify with that that was my, my identity. That's where my focus was. These things absolutely inform how we navigate the world, the lens through which we view the world. But what we do now in this present moment is what creates our life and, you know, how we create it going forward for our future. The thing is, we spend so much time looking back and forward, back behind us and forward into the future and identifying with all of our traumas and diagnoses that we don't have the energy or space left to create a pause, to choose what it is that we want in this moment and how we can participate in our own healing and well-being, how we can practice the agency that we have. And if we want to make changes, we can't do that if we are doing what we've always done, or even, you know, what we're doing now, because what got us here won't get us there, wherever there is that we want to be anywhere else. The things that we have done in the past, the things that we have focused on in the past, the things that the habits that we've created, even the people in our space, all of these things will change if we start doing things differently. And if you want to reach a different space, if you want to reach a different, you know, state of being, If you want to change your patterns and change how you feel and change how you experience this life, you have to do different things. You have to create a difference in your internal and external world to see something different. And with that, remembering that what we do serves us in some way, even if we don't recognize it, the body always has a reason and it doesn't have to make any sense to you. If we think about the fact that 95% of the time we are running on autopilot, It's just habits and patterns that are already established because our brain and nervous system, our body want to conserve energy for survival. And so it's easier just to do what we've always done and run on those patterns. What we do serves us. It helps us cope. It helps us justify. It helps us in some way, or it did at one time. There's always a reason for systems working the way that they do. And if we're not aware of the patterns that we're repeating and they no longer serve us, we will keep repeating these patterns that are now detrimental to our progress, to our healing and our growth. And when I hear people say things like, I will be traumatized forever from my childhood. I get it. I will never be okay. I hear things like this and I cringe because like we've talked about before, words matter and they are one of the most powerful things that we have. Language creates meaning. We assign meanings to words and create our understanding of the world from those meanings. So the words we use are assigning meanings and creating our world like a map. We speak, whether aloud to ourselves or to ourselves in our heads. And these things are the directions that your brain follows. And so that old saying, I don't know if anybody says this (laughs) anymore, has said this in recent decades. But it's something I heard growing up a lot. Sticks and stones would break my bones, but words can never hurt me or something along those lines. And it's just not true, especially when they are our own words. Those, my friend, are the ones that your brain and body listen to. Every cell is listening and waiting for your directions and the thoughts we have and the words we speak 
spark a cascade of physiological reactions throughout the body's systems. So I loved this article. And I think it's really important to consider where these diagnoses are coming from and what the impact is. Who is creating this label that you are going to carry around with you? Let's look at some of the diagnoses from the past. Homosexuality was only recently taken out of the DSM as a mental disorder. Hysteria, I don't know if that was actually in the DSM, it might have preceded that a little bit, but it was a diagnosed mental health disorder for women who were too emotional or just like didn't listen to their husbands. So it's really important that we consider who is coming up with these things. Who is, who is creating these labels? Because everybody has a different interpretation and the people in power get to write the story. So let's look at who, who is writing the story that we're living by. So when we're thinking about the language, language that we choose to use around these things, things like saying things like, I have anxiety, my anxiety. I'm just using anxiety as an example. You can replace whatever in there. I get this picture of someone like, like it's something you're holding on to, like a, like a suitcase you're carrying around, holding tight to it, like your life depends on it. This is my anxiety. It's mine. Okay, you can also learn to put that down, put that suitcase down. And eventually, you can choose to not even pick it up. That shit's heavy. Let it go. And I know this can sound impossible and maybe even infuriating to hear, just let it go. Almost in the the same vein as, just stay positive. But it's not like that. Just staying positive. Positive vibes only. This excludes all of our other states of being human the whole spectrum of feelings that we are capable of experiencing. And if we're capable of experiencing a feeling, it's part of the human experience and we have the inherent ability to handle it. And that doesn't mean that we're going to like it or it's going to feel good. Not everything is supposed to feel good. And I think that's where we get off track sometimes with our expectations that everything should feel good all the time. And that's, that's not, that's not life. That's not living. That's just not how it is. Anyway, Letting go of anxiety and stress isn't the same because we're holding on to these things. It's a choice we're making, even if it's a choice to just stay on autopilot. And, you know, that comes with kind of a caveat because you have to learn that you are on autopilot before you can make the choice to be intentional and then not live on autopilot. As always, awareness comes first. We don't know what we don't know. But once we do know we can make those decisions and be intentional. We can't change something that we're not aware of, but we can redirect our nervous system with intention once we you know, have that awareness. We can't exclude the experience of being human without consequences, but we can heal and repattern our nervous system even from unimaginable traumas. And the message I want to spread here and will continue to talk about <laughs> to anyone that will listen is that there is nothing wrong with you. We all have stress. We all have anxiety. These are natural parts of being human. And yes, there is a spectrum. There are varying degrees of this. And even when our body does something to protect us and we experience unbalance, we experience dysregulation, this is still just your body working to protect you, to keep you alive. And so much of the time, the dysregulation and, you know, getting stuck there 
happens from us not allowing nature to just take its course, not allowing our feelings, not allowing ourselves to even recognize, much less process, trauma, grief, even just daily feelings so that they can run their course and then we can move on. The second part of this message that I will continue to preach on from my soapbox is that what you do makes a difference. You have the ability to affect how your nervous system patterns, how you respond to things, the words you choose to believe and identify with, even and maybe especially when those words are yours. You don't have to believe every every thought that comes into your head. It's just a thought. Your brain's trying to make sense of millions and millions of pieces of information that is flying in all of your senses at all times. You can choose to believe, choose to pay attention, choose to identify, or not. It is that simple, and I will be very clear that does not make it easy. But it is possible. So what it comes down to is you have the ability to participate in your life. It is your responsibility to participate in your life, in your well-being, in creating the experiences that you want to have. Yes, there are factors outside of our control that shape a lot of things around us, but we still have the ability to choose what we do, how we interact with the world, how we choose to navigate situations, what we choose to focus on, how we choose to identify, and with what we identify. So my friend, feel the feelings. You are not your diagnosis. You are not your trauma. You are not your past. From this moment, right now, you get to choose how you will move forward. And that is true of every single moment that you live. My challenge for you this week is to pay attention to the things that you say and identify yourself with. Take note and then decide if those things are serving you or if you want to change course. This is your story. You get to plot twist and change directions at any time you want. Awareness will always come first. And until we are paying attention to what we're doing and thinking and the patterns and habits that we currently have, we will not be able to change them. So pay attention, take note, and decide if those things are serving you. As always, I am incredibly grateful for you, for your precious time and attention. I know I say this all the time, but those truly are our greatest resources, our most precious resources, and I am, I am genuinely so grateful. Thank you for being here, and I hope you have a beautiful week. Do me a solid. If you like this episode, if you found it useful, please share it with a friend or with me on social media. I love that. I am always so grateful to know what lands for you. All right. I'm going to leave it there. That's it for today. Until next time, JPB out.